as Cathy said, we're, I thought it'd be good just to look at these two passages, two little talk of two halves, being a football fan. And now my team are up to seventh in the league, I, I, I can talk about it. So I called it, I changed the title actually, I don't know if you noticed, I called it God's Character and Our Response. And so I want to talk a little bit about God's character in, in the first part. Chapter 6 and 7 of Micah follow the same pattern as, as the rest of the book. The people of Israel, they sin. God denounces the nation for that sin, tells them that judgment is going to come as a result of that, but then there's always hope. And chapter 6, verse 1 begins with, listen to what the Lord says. So that's what we're going to do this morning, hopefully. The message is loud and clear at the beginning of chapter 6. God says, I did so much for you. I've really done so much for you. Particularly, I led you out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. And I brought you in there because I love you so much. But then he says, over the 500 years since then, you've continually rebelled and continually turned away from me. And sin is everywhere. And this is Susan's slide. I pinched Susan's slide from two weeks ago. And she, that's just a list of some of the things that Susan had drawn out of Micah, the sins that were, that were in the nation. And sin that affected every part of their society, politics, Religion, business and trade, communities, family life. The powerful were oppressing the weak, the poor and the vulnerable. And in fact, in chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, it says it's so bad, you can't actually trust your spouse or your children. Listen to what it says. Do not put trust in a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against a mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the members of his own household. Are things much any better today? wouldn't take long to flick through the news, and certainly with politics we can find plenty to... But right through to family life and some of the things that have happened in families this week and the week before, it's still true. Micah says, because of that, because of the corruption that's going on, God is going to judge. But as we also heard, if if you were here when Graham spoke a few weeks ago, that's actually good news, because the fact that God is going to judge sin is good news, because it means he's not going to let evil and injustice win out. And Micah concludes his whole book, his prophecies, by focusing on the character of God. And so I thought it would be good to do that. I just want to look in this first part at those verses from chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. Just work our way through them as a source of encouragement. It starts off, who is a God like you? Well, the answer is clearly no one. No one is like our God. No other gods come anywhere near to our God. Our God is unique. And what makes him unique? Well, it goes on to say, he pardons sin and forgives transgression. I think we can sometimes underestimate the importance of that statement. You know, we, we can take sin too lightly. But God deals with our main problem. The main problem of the human race is not COVID, and dare I say even climate change. It's our sin. And right back in the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, it says that sin leads to death. And that principle goes right through the Bible. Whenever sin is there, death. That's our main problem. And it says here that God has dealt with that. That's good news, isn't it? 
It's really hard behind your mask, but you can get a bit excited. That is really, really good news. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. <laughs> and then it says, you do not stay angry forever. That's a real relief, isn't it? That God doesn't stay angry forever. And then it says, but delight to show mercy. Now, when someone does something wrong to me, uh, I get pretty angry and usually go and gossip about them to someone else. If they come and say sorry, I kind of grudgingly, oh, okay, I'll forgive you, I'll let you off, you know, it's all right. Uh, but God doesn't do that. God delights to forgive us. God delights to show us mercy. He delights to let us off, even though we don't actually deserve it. And then it goes on, it gets even better. He says, you will again have compassion on us. God show, treats us with compassion. And then it gives two helpful pictures of what he does with our sin. I found this very helpful this, this week. It says, you will tread our sins underfoot. Now, I do quite a lot of walking with my mates, with Kathy, with the dog. I was out this morning with the dog. We were the, I never, it was so foggy, we never saw another dog. I ended up calling him Foggy Doggy. because just, I'm just glad he was black, otherwise I think I might have lost him in the fog. And one of the things that you do at this time of year, of course, is tread on a lot of leaves. There's a lot of brown and dying leaves underfoot as you walk along. Connecting that with this verse, I thought, that's a picture of what God thinks about my sin and your sin. He just walks all over it, ignores it. You know, it's dying, it's on the ground, it's gone. Maybe that's a helpful picture for you of your sin and what God thinks about it. And then it goes on to say, He hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea. So if you were to take a boat and go out a couple of miles out to sea and, I don't know, take something out of your pocket, some money, take a pound coin out of your pocket and throw it into the sea, you wouldn't see it again, would you? You wouldn't see it again. That would be the end of that, to go to the bottom. And that's, again, the picture of what God has done with our sin. He's hurled it away. It's gone. It's forgotten. And then he says... You'll be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on occasion to our ancestors in days long ago. God is a God who is faithful to his promises. This is a reference to a promise God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And there he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And... That promise is continuing to be fulfilled, was fulfilled through Jesus, and is continuing to be fulfilled. So how can God be so good to us, and how can he continue to fulfill his promises? Well, as Kathy's already men mentioned and made out, we know the answer. We know something Micah didn't. We know that the answer is found in Jesus. He was the descendant of Abraham, the fulfillment of the promise. And I thought it might be good just to, to look at two verses from the New Testament as I finish this first bit, just to encourage us. John 3.16, usually referred to as the most famous verse of the Bible, but it's famous because it's just brilliant beyond description, really. And I thought as we approach Christmas, let's just take a moment and look at it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world, that's, it. that's great in its sense, that he gave. That's what Christmas is about, giving his one and only son. That whoever, anyone here today, all of us, believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Sin will not lead to death. Believing will lead to eternal life. And then 
The Apostle Paul writes in the letter to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that great? God put his love into action and showed it to us. And through Jesus, we can be forgiven. And through Jesus, God is fulfilling his promise, right? The promise right back to Abraham through Jesus. He's building his people. He's building his church. So who is a God like ours? There's no one to compare to him. I'll be back later. So yeah, so second half, just thinking of our response, and I guess not just our response to this morning, but the whole of Micah. Well, what does God want us to do, having spent some time looking at this, let's be honest, quite obscure character that I guess no one outside of the church really knows? What, what, what would our response be? What's quite helpful is that Micah spells it out in the first reading that Alison gave. Micah 6, 6-8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I think it's natural to think what pleases God is is our worship, especially if it's costly to us and very elaborate. Wouldn't God be pleased if I sacrificed thousands of sheep, he says. I was trying to work out what the equivalent of thousands of sheep were, because I'm sure none of us are going to do that. I struggle, actually. If you've got any ideas afterwards, let me know. But maybe if I went to church to every single meeting or every single day, or if I gave lots and lots of money, or if I joined every rotor that the church has got. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> That's it. We've cracked it. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with sacrificial worship done out of a, a response of, of gratitude to God for what he's done for us. But it's interesting. What mattered more to Micah was how the people lived in everyday life, at home and at work. See, God wants seven-day-a-week Christians. There is no sacred, secular divide. There aren't these things that are Christian, if you like, and these things that aren't. That's not true. We've, we've seen that in Micah when he's condemned all avenues of life. See, what we do on a Monday or a Saturday is just as important as what we, as what we do at 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday. And if how we live six days a week is not in accordance with this verse here, then I'm not sure how valid our Sunday worship is, to be honest. And this verse gives three simple instructions to seek to follow, and I just want to quickly look at them. This is, I think, for nations, it's for our nation, it's for churches, and it's for us as individuals. It says to act justly. This is about outward behavior, the way we go about life and what we do out there. And it talks about loving mercy. It has to do with what's inside us, isn't it? Our hearts. And then it talks about walking humbly with God, which, if you like, is about looking upwards and our relationship with Him. So what does it mean to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly? Well, we can all have our own ideas, but here's just some of mine. To act justly. Well, for a nation, it means having a legal system that's clear on what's right and wrong and which protects the vulnerable and treats everybody fairly. 
for a church. It might be good for us to reflect at some point what it would mean for us at Christ Church to act justly. How can we confront injustice? How can we stand with the weak and vulnerable? How can we value everybody as equal? And then for individuals, what does it mean for me and for you? I think it means that we are clear what's right and wrong and seek to live according to what's right, according to what God wants. If we have another look at Susan's slide, I thought, oh, God, it's a great idea. I'll get Susan's slide and I'll, I'll, I'll write the opposites. And I realized I couldn't always get the opposite of these, of these words. So I've just I've written at the bottom, it's the opposite of these things. <laughs> <laughs> I can do theft, which is not nicking stuff, but I mean, some of it's really... There's laziness up there. <laughs> Ooh. But it is not doing those things, but seeking to do the opposite. And it's about treating everybody fairly and without prejudice. And then it talks about loving mercy. Now, mercy is often described as not getting what you deserve. You know, we deserve judgment, but God is merciful, so we don't get it. And we saw earlier that God delights to show mercy. So that's a good example to follow, isn't it? Treating others with love, kindness, and compassion, even when they don't deserve it. Now, Ben asked us last week, what do you long for this Christmas? Now, I thought we can answer lots of things to that, but maybe loving mercy could be something that we could long for. What a difference it would make to Christmas if we were longing and seeking mercy. Particularly as we're going to be spending extra time with friends and family and perhaps people that we don't see very often and people that we know will cause us to get a little bit irritated, a bit like drivers that don't put their fog lamps on. You know, I don't know about you, but there's always that someone in the family that's going to share their political views this Christmas that you don't agree with. Or maybe you could show some mercy. Or maybe there's that lazy adult, you know, that turns up just when the meal's ready and, and sits down in front of the television when everyone else is clearing up and washing up, you know? Or maybe there's the brother who drinks too much and decides to tell everybody what he thinks. Or maybe there's that child, that precocious, fractious child, not yours, of course, you know, <laughs> that drives everybody mad. Now, I'm not condoning their behavior, but maybe our response is somehow to work out how can we show mercy? And then to walk humbly with God. I think this is about learning to trust him and depend on him rather than our own abilities. It's acknowledging our need of him, that he leads and we follow. So I think the message of Micah is still relevant today. God is angry at our sin. He will act to judge. But in Jesus, he's opened up a way for us to be restored back into relationship with him, to be forgiven, to be shown mercy and to be shown grace. And he wants us to walk in humility, seeking to do what's right and fair, demonstrating love and compassion to the people that we meet. And if we look at Jesus in the Gospels, we'll see how to do that, because he obviously modeled that in the perfect way. We can follow his example. So why should we live like this? Why should we be the ones to live like that, and other people can just get away with doing what they like? Well, it's because we're thankful to the one who's given everything for us. The one who came at that first Christmas who delights to show us mercy. Let's have a moment of quiet.